Welcome to Scandal.K12.us. Our Scandal K12 curriculum is a true crime comedy podcast about bamboozling boards, sneaky superintendents, lame learning products, and teachers who are way too cool for school. Listener discretion is always advised. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Saturday stretch time. We invite you to join in singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Hello. <coughs> uh. Hello, students, and today is a special day for Scandal School. We are on an abbreviated schedule, so remember that. Do the assembly. We're going to be focusing on stories from the exciting field of educational administration. It is our first, soon-to-be annual, Superintendent Superb Owl. Or Superb Owl MMXX or Mm-mm Zaza. Now, as part of today's game, we'll be shouting out and recognizing a few superintendents and their districts that had these fine examples of administrative excellence. Now, a little backstory for those who might have failed civics or were actually unable to take civics after No Child Left Behind legislation gutted a lot of subject area teaching leaving most students as confused as former governor of Texas Rick Perry was when trying to name the governmental agency he wanted to eliminate during a sort of important presidential debate. So for those of you who scored high in math and English and allowed your school to succeed, but failed in everything else, let us give some context to today's celebratory game. In the United States, school districts are generally led by a superintendent. The superintendent position may be held as an elected official, but, according to the National Education Association, 37 states have school superintendents who are appointed by the governor. So voters essentially choose that individual or individuals who will fill the educational role in their district when they select the state governor. So remember that next time you vote. The superintendent position actually predates this nation by several decades, and a form of it was created soon after the United Colonies established the first school in Boston in 1721. Now, a fun fact. 1721 was also the first ever suggestion box developed by Yoshimuni Togagawa, a shogun who ruled Japan as part of the Tokugawa shogunate. The suggestion box meant that literate peasants, which there might only be a few of, could write recommendations anonymously to help the shogun better shogunate with less fear of reprisal. Now, both of these modern ideas are with us today and are basically in the same form with the same amount of risks. For much of our early school history, the superintendent was focused on instruction and academics. However, after the Kalamazoo school case, this changed. In 1859, a lawsuit by three possibly crusty landowners from the state where the motto is Si Quirlius Peninsulum Aminium Circumspect, or roughly translated to We're the Florida of the North. The three Kalamazoo property owners, possibly Larry, Curly, and Moe, demanded that their tax dollars would not fund public schools. If you have been to a local school board meeting, you'll see how little has changed since then. Now, the local court ruled against them, and then another court, and the case was pursued all the way to the top court in the state. However, they lost again, but this time even harder. From Kalamazoo, there was a precedent that public schools could be funded by local taxes, and in no time, these public institutions of learning and levy became more abundant in our great and storied land. With an increase in public schools, there 
increased the need to have them managed by an army of bureaucrats and with more cogs in the system, each system needed to be presided over by a top cog. And thus the modern superintendent was born, perhaps their first acts being to ensure those shogun suggestion boxes were at each school in order to get feedback on how to better superintendent or whatever it was. In 1914, seeing an opportunity for a new credentialing degree and perhaps more revenue stream, Columbia University, a historically largest land-owning institution in New York City, makes the Catholic Church look like a piker slumlord well, they set about to make the first set of university courses in order to mint more modern-minded, business-focused school administrators. These administrators would focus more on the business and financial matters of the district, the money in and the money out, more than they would focus on curriculum and instruction, basically the whole reason for the business. And with this new diploma mill, <coughs> I mean, degree program from Columbia University, there increased the number of superintendents with them bona fides needed to get the job done. Today, there are 13,728 superintendents, according to the School Superintendents Association, or AASA, and with the role ever splitting so that some very large districts have superintendents of instruction, of curriculum, or technology, we can expect more to join these ranks. With about as many superintendents in the country as the entire daytime and nighttime town population of Innsmouth, Massachusetts, there are bound to be a few incidents and interesting stories and more than a few antics. Those superintendents who stand up from the crowd above and beyond are part of the big game episode we're calling scandal.k12.us forward slash superb owl MMXX. Okay, the game is ready to go. We start out strong with a three point throw by Mario Andretti. He hits the post or line and Bounces off the rim and the referee says something that involves math. Let's go to our first replay. Be careful when and where you go. While you can't deny the call of nature, you wouldn't think one wrongly placed dump could put your entire life in the, wait for it, the toilet. But that is the case with Dr. Thomas W. Tramaglen, who you may know better by the sobriquet Pooper Intendant, or the Super Pooper, and of course, many others. It appears that 20 years of work in education, several degrees from Rutgers University, and 2013 New Jersey ASCD Outstanding Educator Award didn't stop this made-for-clickbait story from becoming viral and keeping the nation distracted from the Grecian wildfires, Ebola outbreak, Ukrainian crisis, Yellow Vest protests, and other troubling elements of 2018 at least for a few moments or seconds. According to Dr. Tramaglen, he was jogging about a track of a school that was outside of his district as he was an active runner and this track was closer to his home. He had participated in many marathons and was active in using those marathons to raise money. According to the school's resource officer, who was on poop patrol on the field after multiple reports of steaming piles were found around the property, he captured the subject, well, not red-handed, but 
uh, in a manner that it was obvious the perpetrator of this act was a superintendent from another district. The struggling superintendent explained that his unfortunately timed defecation was due to a condition called runner stomach. Runner stomach is where excessive and intense exercise can lead to a sudden and total evacuation of one's bowels. That is why in public parks where joggers frequent, you must always stay on the path. You have no idea what logs lurk in those woods. While defecating under the bleachers is a minor offense that would result in three tickets, all told was about $500 in fines, this setup for a story was too good to be true. It seems that it was a slow news day at NJ.com, a company owned by Advanced Publications, a publishing empire helmed by the late Cy Newhouse, who was himself instrumental in pitching, helping write, and publishing Donald Trump's Art of the Deal that basically made him a star. Since Newhouse's organizations were adept at promoting, well, excrement, for some time, decades really, stories about excrement were pushed and pushed out of a newsroom that writes headlines that read, Woman wonders if the family dog may be racist. That is an actual headline. Now these online stories led to more, which led to that instant fame, the sort that only Twitter shaming can bring with a ruined life and death threats. Thanks, Information Highway. Being fired from his high-paying superintendent position online and, of course, traditional brick-and-mortar harassment, death threats, and so forth, to him, his two kids, and his ex-wife changed everything in a moment for the superintendent. With memes galore and a overall plummeting quality of life, he took up life perhaps in a Scots Inn or extended stay hotel or wherever divorced dads wind up who have to wear Twitter's scarlet letter of the moment. Dr. Tramaglini didn't take this sitting or squatting down. He fired back with a full range of motions, with a lawsuit against the local police, who he claimed leaked the mugshot that led to ignominy far outweighing the petty crime he was accused of. Unfortunately, the case was dumped by the judge, according to app.com, news leader in Monmouth and Ocean Counties in New Jersey, as the mugshot just gave a picture of what the public had already learned via the third estate who were tired of reporting on the plight of the workers or climate change and needed a good old diarrhea under the bleacher story to drive sticky eyeballs to their online content. This case was flushed out of lower court, but Dr. Tremaglini has opened up a new case in a higher court, adding to his list of complaints the behavior of certain NJ.com employees. Now remember, that's the Newhouse publication that broke the story, and according to multiple whistleblowers from inside NJ.com, journalists were driven by the current news director to write multiple redundant stories lacking any news value whatsoever, focusing primarily on what was depicted in the unlawfully taken and disseminated booking photograph, at least according to Two River Times, number one in the number two stories. It may be that Dr. Tramaglini sees his day in court but you can never wipe a record clean nor find all the stragglers on the internet. So we'll be following the story for more developments in future Super Bowls. It's a great game today. The weather is up in the air and it's a toss-up among Custer's Revenge, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and Action 52. So it could be anyone's game. But let's get back to the field and examine this next play. 
We're going to travel to Kentucky and talk about a former superintendent of Montgomery County Schools in a story that involves Title IX violations, assault and battery, and a manhunt that leads police to a motel in Florida, as well as a Facebook group and a banner hanging from a cherry picker parked outside the superintendent's office. We would say that next to a giant inflatable rat, people banging in pots and pans, a banner with your name on it hanging from a cherry picker demanding that you are fired is a sign that your career is in terrible trouble. This story about a less-than-super superintendent needs a little explanation. Now, Montgomery County is a small rural area of Kentucky just north of Rabbit Town and west of Salt Lake. While a small district, the superintendent and school board can be some of the most powerful positions. Kentuckian in exile and writer for the now-archived Page One Kentucky, Jacob Payne, said in 2014, In most small counties, school boards are everything. They control the best jobs, millions of dollars in contracts, and taxes. They literally control the future of your children and whether or not those children succeed in life. And that's why it's a big deal. This small rural county indeed signed up for some big troubles when it hired Dr. Powell, who was already in trouble for deeds such as hiring unqualified candidates in his previous district, at least according to joshua588.rssing.com forward slash chan, an anonymous website that seems to have been set up just to hate on the superintendent and his pals. However, the problem seems his relationships with his pals or others because he doled out positions or persecution according to his whim and with sometimes actual violence. For those teachers who cheesed him off, he made sure to make their working lives hell, but for his own wife, according to police reports obtained by Jacob Payne, his wife lived in a particular hell, claiming that Powell threatened me numerous times and physically abused me during their marriage being kicked, strangled, and beaten on numerous occasions. She got an order of protection. However, she retracted that order because nothing says, Honey, I won't try to murder you again, than Powell appointing her special education special projects director despite her not having the needed credentials. And when this lack of credentials was uncovered and discussed by the community, Powell only removed supervisory responsibilities from his wife's position. However, he did not reduce her salary. After a litany of antics that are far too numerous for this venue, someone did blow the whistle on Powell's keeping of two very different personnel files and made a Title IX complaint, which covers sexual discrimination as part of the Education Amendments Act of 1972. What this Title IX investigation, and this is a federal investigation, seems to have done was to uncover so many more wrongdoings as well as unleash a string of retaliation and firings from Powell until yard signs were cropping up all over the county calling for Powell's firing. But Powell had friends. He had friends on the school board, many of which he provided free rental space to or dispensed no-contract bids to. He also had some friends who were sneaking about the neighborhood, stealing protest signs off of people's front lawns, in the most physical display of the former Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, Tip O'Neill's All Politics is Local Politics. <laughs> if you're rolling crap and you're calling black too many times and your chips are just right there, it seems suspicious. It also seems suspicious that the school board tips its hand in Powell's favor too frequently, and under more pressure and even more yard signs, 
that replaced, I guess, the stolen signs, and perhaps a few more hanging banners in addition to the banner on the cherry picker that was parked outside of his office, as well as an online campaign on Facebook that was created just to get him terminated, and of course, blogs and other citizen journalist websites talking about him, Powell was finally terminated from his position, and the Educational Professional Standards Board subpoenaed the entire school board as part of a larger investigation into their actions. It seems that, if there's good to come of this, that the sleepy district that had once had a very low participation in local school politics seems to have changed. In 2016, Powell was fired, and by the end of 2017, the district had paid out over $700,000 in damages to educators who were wrongfully terminated. Powell left the district and, with his superintendent certificate revoked in 2016, seems to have returned to his life of strangling his wife. And in 2020, an arrest warrant went out for him, but he managed to escape for several months and basically vanish into the swamps of Florida until he was captured at what we're sure is a one-star hotel, which may be the worst sort of hotel in the nation for accommodations. With Montgomery County now returned to law and order, Powell is currently TKO'd. However, he will have his certification restored in 2020, per the Educational Professional Standards Board ruling in 2016 that only suspended it for a few years. Maybe it is time to rent another cherry picker and get that old Fire Powell banner out of storage. Okay, buckle up, buckaroos. We're going east with our next announcement, and we're going to take it down a notch to look at some really old-fashioned crime boss-style crimes. Andre Jose Hornsby was born on October 7th of 1953 in New Orleans, Louisiana. His mother was a seamstress, and his father was a carpenter and bricklayer, according to HistoryMakers.org. Hornsby worked in Houston for the first few years as superintendent Early in his career, Hornsby worked for the Houston Independent School District, or Houston ISD. After several years, he was promoted to superintendent of South Central District, and then was part of the school reorganization program under the guidance of Texas Southern University. In 1998, Hornsby was ready to pull up stakes from Houston, having done all he could, and he applied for the $180,000 a year full-time job in Yonkers, New York, a large city that sits on the east bank of the Hudson River, just outside of the enormous New York City. The Yonkers School District School Board was impressed by Hornsby's track record of improving student test scores in Houston South Central in what was called the Houston Miracle. They were also impressed that he received a doctorate in education in 1983 from Texas Southern University with a master's degree in education from the University of Houston in 1976 and a bachelor's degree in health and physical education from the University in Tulsa in 1975. While Hornsby at the time hailed from the far-off Texas, about as far from Yonkers as you can get, they took a chance and awarded him the position of superintendent of the 26,000-student system. In Yonkers, perhaps using some of his Texas charm, Hornsby set about to alienate just about everyone, but started with the 2,100 teachers within the school district. It seemed that with the expiration of the teacher's contract, Hornsby was able to increase the teaching load from 210 minutes, broken into 45-minute periods, or about four to five classes per day, to 258 minutes of total teaching, broken up into 90-minute blocks, or about three blocks with partial periods added for lunch, 
leaving many teachers without a bathroom or other break throughout the day. It may have been these extra duties, or maybe it was that he confirmed his plans only a few days before the start of school that forced teachers to scramble to redesign their curriculum and pacing and caused a lot of resentment. Now it's understandable he wanted to tip over the old apple cart because the district leadership wanted to see some changes and Hornsby seemed the man to make them happen. They wanted to make the Houston miracle up there in Yonkers because Yonkers was facing the lowest test scores in Westchester County. Now this is understandable since Westchester by a whole is a very affluent county where the median income, one that factors in the poverty of Yonkers, is $86,000 a year and as many children are enrolled in private schools that cost between eleven dollars to $22,000 a year as there are total students in the Yonkers school system. It's indeed hard to compete with that kind of competition. However, Yonkers leadership under Hornsby took on the teachers' union and the teachers who were complaining about upended schedules and so forth, well, he got a jump on that because he obtained a state Supreme Court injunction forbidding a strike, threatening any teacher who walked out with the loss of two days of pay for each day she was on strike. We mean she, not he or she, because Yonkers' teachers at the time were overwhelmingly female. After three days, the district leadership and Yonkers Mayor John Spencer's seven out of nine member appointed school board and the Yonkers Federation of Teachers came to an agreement that children should come first or at least teachers cannot transfer out of failing schools in the middle of the year if they have received 20 hours of training. Also, those block schedules were put on hold pending further study. Hornsby, a little black and blue from his kerfluffle with the teachers, then turned on his Texas charm to Mayor John D. Spencer, a controversial mayor who was alleged to be very uncharmed by Texans, or any outsiders for that matter, and he was not happy with Hornsby's support for housing desegregation in Yonkers, which would impact the schools. According to an article in the New York Times, a newspaper owned by former slave owners and Confederate sympathizers, according to the New York Post, a newspaper founded by a slave owner, according to the New York Times, Hornsby, the city's first African-American superintendent, wanted to close a $24 million budget gap by pursuing a federal lawsuit. Now, there were others who claimed that Hornsby was on the take, which in a city where corruption was the norm if, well, it was not a very inventive claim. He was accused of improperly accepting a golf trip as well as a handheld computer from a school vendor. A handheld computer? Well, remember, this was 1999, and a handheld might have been a Palm Pilot or a handspring visor. You can see those in museums now. Now, remember, back in 1999, this was before school vendors could gift iPads, iPhones, or anything sexy. But don't worry, we'll cover many sexy tech giveaways to school districts in future episodes. While the Yonker School Board, remember, one where the mayor had seven out of nine appointees, said they saw a brilliant man, but also said he had trouble with people skills, many in the city saw Hornsby sacking as racially charged and highly political. One Reverend George claimed of Mayor Spencer that he had now taken the city to a new low. What is happening with Rudy Giuliani in New York? Guess what? He's got a little brother in Yonkers. These rumblings of injustice caused a few protests, but unfortunately didn't change the outcome for Hornsby. Whatever the people's skills Hornsby lacked or trouble he'd gotten into, he seems to have made a difference in the district in taking Yonkers from being the worst school system for a small city in the state of New York to the third worst school system for a small city in the state of New York, 
with the worst being Utica or Buffalo or Albany or Rochester or Syracuse or Binghamton, depending on the metrics applied and, of course, the years of the report. Whatever the cause for Hornsby's firing, whether it was racism, prejudice, discrimination, separationism, or certain anti-Texas sentiment, or a sweetheart deal with Compact and Apple Computers, in which the manufacturers sold computers to the Yonkers School District in bundles of ten and provided one or two extra units as an incentive that Hornsby allegedly passed on the family members. Well, whatever it might have been, he was bought out of his contract for hundreds of thousands of dollars, just having finished two out of the four years for the contract. The Yonkers School Board President, Mr. Ferrito, claimed he wanted to hire someone from, well, not Texas. I don't know if we're going to go through that again, he said. I think we need someone who can bring the district together, and I don't know that we have to go looking outside our backyards for that. The school board then went on to survey their backyard, and from that backyard they selected a series of five superintendents who were either fired, retired, or resigned for anything from unknown reasons to pornography on the job to a $55 million budgetary oopsie-doodle that left the district heavily in debt. Well, the big game is right down to the wire, and it's the bottom of the ninth. Mike Bossy has Tiger Woods pinned to the end zone, three yards to a punt for a three-point. These bounce passes, chest passes, and super combos may get around the world, but the game is anyone's. Okay, so after a short break, we're going to get back to our superintendent, MMXX Superb Owl. The second half of tonight's reading will resume after the intermission. We hope the bathroom line wasn't too long. Make sure you have your hall pass or ticket or parents' permission or whatever before returning to the bleachers. And now let's review the tape and look at that play. Now, after leaving Yonkers, Hornsby, rather than taking a gap year, changed his professional profile from superintendent to consultant, founding Quality Schools Consulting Incorporated in 2000, a consultant service that was to help districts obtain E-rate grants, a federal pot of money managed by the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, in order to provide discounts to assist schools and libraries in the United States to obtain affordable telecommunications and Internet access. The E-rate program itself is fraught with fraud and waste, and one publicized case of nine schools in Puerto Rico spending $101 million to get online, and another of Atlanta spending $75 million on a no-bid network solution that was never used, and so many other reports of waste and fraud that the Universal Service Administration, the agency that manages the program, set up a whistleblower hotline. Now, if you or someone you love is wasting E-rate money, call 1-800-453-1546 and tell the operator you're making a whistleblower alert and your claim will be investigated. However, you will not know the outcome since all investigations are conducted confidentially. In 2003, Hornsby landed another job, this one as superintendent of Prince George's County in Maryland, a suburban district that is majority African-American, just outside of Washington, D.C., and a little south of Baltimore. Now, this county had a lot to contend with at the time Hornsby applied for the position since the district had already attempted to fire its last superintendent in a 6-3 to vote, which ultimately was vetoed by the state government in a threatened takeover by a crisis management board appointed by the governor. 
While his predecessor had been reinstated after the negative vote, her contract, not surprisingly, was not renewed, and Hornsby got her job. Now, in his time away from being a superintendent, Hornsby had grown as a professional. He'd gotten used to surviving political feuds with school boards, but he seems to have also gotten a bit of a consultant money habit, if you know what I mean, having seen just how lucrative district contracts can be. According to the school board, both his firing from Yonkers and his prior activity as a consultant were buried on his 2003 application, and this information would come back to bite them in the proverbial backside in a few short years. Nevertheless, they offered him the $250,000 a year position, and he took it. In 2004, Hornsby suggested that Prince George's County Public Schools, or PGCPS, establish a summer program for kindergarten students and use the vendor Leapfrog Schoolhouse Products the makers of the phonics desk, a now vintage educational audio toy, sort of like Texas Instruments of Speak and Spell, actually they use the same chip that was used to develop talking greeting cards to make a talking phonics product. Well, as a side note, we can't believe things made in the 90s are now considered vintage, and from 1978, the Speak and Spell many of us used as kids may be an antique, but thus is this passage of time. Now, the product he was purchasing was much more modern, but the 52-year-old Hornsby pushed aside the typical channels districts use for making large-scale purchases, such as review committees or perhaps having the district's director of purchasing talk to the company directly. Hornsby claimed he could get a deeper discount than the original 938,746.80 quote, and he started working the phones and working his Texas charm at home. It seems that along with emails, phone calls, and meetings at the district, Hornsby had a back channel, that is, his live-in girlfriend, the then 25-year-old Sienna Owens, who just happened to work at Leapfrog Schoolhouse as a very junior sales executive. District contracts are not everyone's idea of sexy talk between an older paramour and a much younger mate, but we can't imagine some romantic evenings with the two, perhaps in a heart-shaped jacuzzi, sip champagne, Eight chocolate-covered strawberries and disgust. Oh, let's talk pricing structures. Can we get a stipulated sum contract in the house? Ooh, I love those deliverables. Let's agree upon check-in dates to ensure adoption and utilization. All of that due diligence, all those liquidated damages. I want to know what kind of event, uh, what kind of breach we can recover from. What can we recover... Remember, this was long before code escrow was a common contractual clause in district purchasing. And, uh, you know, for some people, code escrow is really what flips the switch, if you know what I mean. Whatever the jacuzzi talk, we hope that when they took it to the bedroom, they used all the risk mitigation strategies. After the contract was signed for 956000 $280, a savings of $17,533.20, Hornsby and Owens secretly split the commission that amounted to a total of $20,000. A little money was just to make a big boom-boom in the district. It was shortly after the ink had dried, or the digital signature and the I am not a robot was clicked, that the Baltimore Sun, Baltimore's only Aruna S. Abel-founded newspaper, started doing a little digging. This digging investigative reporting resulted in a story tying Hornsby to Owens, 
which may have gotten a little attention from the paper's subscribers, but got a lot of interest from the FBI, who, truth to be told, may have already had an eye on him. Hornsby had had a state investigation when he was back in Yonkers about some missing computers. When he learned of the investigation, he went into a grand mal damage control and he ordered staff to cover up evidence. He instructed the then Assistant Superintendent of Technology Services, Cynthia Joffron, to destroy all evidence of misappropriated computers. Now, Cynthia Joffron had a long and checkered history with Hornsbury. We're not sure why someone who was threatened with termination because they refused to destroy criminal evidence would wind up working for his consultancy group, Quality Schools Consulting Incorporated, but we can't understand why it turns out that Joffrin, who actually dropped a dime on him back in Yonkers to the FBI, and then seems to have continued to be an asset to the agency. It's not every educational apparatchik who secretly is a double agent, and we don't know if she had a, a cool code name like uh, Miss Joffrin or something educationally. Whatever the former relationship with the G-men back in Yonkers, Joffrin was activated. Perhaps she got an old-school tape recorder that exploded at the end of the message. Now, considering how bad technology is in schools, an exploding tape recorder is nothing new. Anyway, Joffrin was instructed by the FBI to help capture evidence of misdeeds for this and other deals as part of, well, basically she was to feed Hornsby information that would lead to him panicking again, as he did in Yonkers. Or at least it would lead to getting enough evidence for honest services fraud, witness and evidence tampering, and obstruction of justice, whichever came first. In addition to getting evidence of having conflict of interest and then attempting to destroy that evidence, Hornsby was also engaged in a little contract diversion, giving his colleagues contracts as well as a kickback of $144,000 that Joffrin caught on FBI hidden camera, actually putting $1,000 on a table and then watching him pocket it, as he says in a surveillance video available on the YouTube channel Wash Times News, it's a busy time of year. Let's go to the tape. Okay, the audio is really terrible, but you get the idea. With several accusations and the Baltimore Sun on his every move, and the FBI questioning all of his known associates, it was yet another good time to make a break from it all. He had the school board buy him out of his contract in 2005 for $125,000, to which they agreed at least they have another legal fight on their hands. Now, listeners of the show know that that's the time when Dr. Dacey came in from out of the cold. And for more on that, listen to the episode titled The Third Man. There was other fallout. That same year, Bob Lally, president of Leapfrog Schoolhouse and executive vice president of the company's education and training group, resigned as a result of a mutual decision. And Sienna Owens was fired from the company and moved to Florida. Again, Hornsby did not take a gap year or seemed concerned by this impending world of hurt that was about to come down upon him. While most people would be on an apology tour or living low-key, Hornsby founded Quality Schools Consulting Incorporated to take advantage of the tutoring contracts in what was then the growing industry of supplemental educational services, also known as after-school programs. These programs were lucrative, worth $5.5 million a year in Prince George's and $10.8 million in Baltimore, and of course, even with Hornsby under investigation, his company was approved to offer tutoring services in those two locations. Ann Chafin, then director of the State Department of Education's Family Support Services, claimed that an investigation is investigation. 
we can't not move forward with the application because he's under investigation. Which is grammatically correct, but could be simplified by saying an investigation cannot prevent us from reviewing and ruling on an application. While Hornsby's company was tutoring students, the government was about to school him and school him hard. In the 2007 trial, he was convicted of various offenses connected to his antics and sentenced to six years in jail with three additional years of supervision. In 2009, Cena Owens, the now former girlfriend of Hornsby, went down like Al Capone in that she was convicted of tax evasion. Uh, not that Al Capone was given 12 months probation, ordered to pay $5,200 in restitution, performed 200 hours of community service as she was, at least according to FBI documents. In 2012, Hornsby had his sentence reduced, and he has, for the time being, drifted off into obscurity. His work in Houston, known to some as the Houston Miracle, has been challenged as student achievement on non-Texas state tests, such as the Stanford Achievement Test, never matched the same success that students had on those homegrown tests. In addition to these troublesome data points, Hornsby also had some guilt by association since his Houston boss, Texas Secretary of Education Rod Page, was rolled by ethical controversies, including the manipulation and falsification of data, according to the Washington Post. Meanwhile, the school union leaders in Yonkers claimed that Hornsby had been, quote, gaming the test program in Yonkers as he had in Houston, and his legacy there was a pump-and-dump strategy except that he managed to pump up the scores and dump himself through less-than-ethical antics. In Prince George's County, similar score gains were reported, but since these outcomes are held in similar doubt by many who see standardized tests as yet another tool to fool those are down to clown, we're not really sure of his legacy. In 2009, Cynthia Joffrin was given the Wellington Award, the highest honor the U.S. Justice Organization can give to a citizen, recognizing that she put herself, her family, and her career at risk by going undercover. See? Who said that snitches get stitches? Sometimes they get the Wellington Award. Okay, that looks like great game and a match. So before we break for the buses, let's welcome the last contender... One-time superintendent of Anderson District 2, representing the great state of South Carolina, Richard Rosenberger. Rosenberger is known for many things in his long career, but we're focusing on his own big game, where he lost a 4-2 in a playoff when the Board of Trustees fired him for, well, it seems complex. Now, not every administrator goes down in a flame over crimes and misdemeanors. Some superintendents succumbed to the petty politics of a school board, and in this case, it was a board of trustees. Anderson District No. 2 is a small district in South Carolina located between the Tri-County Fertilizer and Cujo Warehouse. It appears that Rosenberger was placed on leave since April of 2020 after he publicly refused to demote two staff members, according to the Independent Mail, Anderson County's number one source for holiday store hours. Rosenberger's standing up for his staff led to many very chaotic school board meetings, a couple of shouting matches, and a lawsuit by a, a member of the Board of Trustees who is now deceased, but the lawsuit continues. And unfortunately, despite the outcry, the teachers and parents and students who protested Rosenberger's removal, he was evicted from his position. It is also alleged that one of his supporters was demoted in retaliation, for which he has opened up a lawsuit. According to Ariel Gelrith, writing for The Independent, 
the district spent $125,000 on legal fees, or seven times the typical amount that they spend. That money could have been used to fund three entry-level teachers for the district rather than fretted away in a headlocked match. This is a developing story, according to the Independent Mail, so perhaps we will have a rematch between Rosenberg and the Board of Trustees. Well, we're going to save that for Superb Owl MMXI. What a great game. We'll have the not-quite-live analysis on www.scandalk12us.com. We'll post the show notes and a link to the Anderson District 2 school board meeting that is basically a shouting match when it is in C-SPAN's boring uncle. We'll also post a link to the FBI surveillance video that caught Dr. Hornsby in the act of taking $1,000 and putting it in his pocket, which may or may not mean something. We appreciate the support, and we'll be giving shout-outs very soon to our supporters on Patreon. And that concludes the game for today. Thanks to all the contributors on the Freesound Project at freesound.org. Credits will be listed on our website, www.scandalk12us.com. If you like what you hear, rate us highly on whatever platform you access podcasts on, whether it's Apple or Stitcher or Spotify or is there another one? Also, please recommend us to the friends you sit with at the lunch table or the popular kids you want to impress. I'm sure a few jocks need to hear this too. Remember the saying, tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Screw me over and you're on scandal.k12.us.